Uh, so my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I get to teach you guys the next two nights. And I taught at middle school camp this past uh, winter, and here's, here's my rule for you all is that I'm going to talk to you like adults. I remember when I was in middle school, when I was in high school, and people would um, talk down to me or dumb things down or simplify, or they'd treat me like my attention span was 30 seconds. And I remember f being frustrated by that, thinking, you know, I'm learning algebra and calculus. You know, talk to me like I know how to learn things. And so that's going to be what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you like adults. And so if you find yourself having trouble concentrating, that's fine. Uh, but do not bother the people sitting next to you. Um, and if you feel like you want to bother people sitting next to you, just go sit in the lobby or something like that. But don't ruin it for someone else because um, God's going to speak through his word to us. And it's one thing if you allow yourself to be distracted, and it's another thing if you ruin it for someone else. So don't do that. Um, will you stand up? I'm going to read the scriptures, and then um, we're going to get going. The word of our Lord. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she wept. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him, Simon, Jesus answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they both could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You can take a seat. Word of our Lord. When I was... Uh, 17, uh, I had a best friend named Ethan who was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, we played on the volleyball team together, and he was having really bad shoulder pain for a long time, and we assumed it was because playing volleyball, his shoulder hurt. And after volleyball season ended, his shoulder pain um, got worse and worse. He went to the doctor. He had stage four lung cancer, and he uh, died six months later. I first met Ethan when I was a freshman in high school at McClintock High School. 
um, which is a little different than the high schools out here in Southeast Valley. Uh, it was, we had freshman boys PE, there were 60 of us. Um, I was the, one of the smallest kids in the room. Most of the people in the room were not from where I lived and they, a lot of them didn't look like me. And I was kind of from a different area and so coming to school, I didn't know anybody in the PE classroom. I remember being uncomfortable physically because I didn't want to obviously stand out and all these people seemed to have these different cliques and friends already and I was kind of standing to the side but then I remember this guy named Ethan who was this kind of scrawny, self-proclaimed, weird-looking guy. <laughs> and he went walking around the boys' locker room as everybody's getting dressed, ready to go to PE first day school, learning everybody's names and uh, shaking hands. And I remember seeing him and how confident he was and how um, everybody seemed to be kind of playing these games of who's where on the popularity poll and who knows who and and there everybody's kind of sizing one another up and especially in a boys PE class going to PE it's who's got these this whose body looks like this whose body looks like that who's who's done this sport before who's not done this sport before and everybody's just kind of paralyzed with this kind of comparison syndrome but Ethan was kind of walking around seemed like he was unaffected by all of it he just seemed really interested and curious to learn all these people's names and get to know all these people and um, make people who, like me who felt uncomfortable feel comfortable. And Ethan, from that point, I learned him his name that day, and I remember hating him at first because he was so confident and so he seemed unhindered by the kind of subtle games we were all playing. But then over the course of the next year, as he kept including me and kept, um, he remembered my name and he kept welcoming me in, um, he became uh, kind of the, the leader of our circle of friends. And he was you know, the guy I'd hang out with on Friday night and on Saturdays and over fall break we'd hang out with him. And he, you know, when at the end of our high school year, he won class clown because, and you know, not because he was like the guy who distracted everybody and was just rude all the time. Sometimes people think class clown people like that, but just because he was always being himself. He was never really hindered. And I remember him getting nice with can diagnosed with cancer and thinking, you know, he'll get better. You know, people get better. People get sick all the time. People get better. And uh, six months later, we're at his funeral. And it was a, a sobering time for me personally and for the majority of my friend group because you go through middle school and everyone says, you need to learn this because when you go to high school, you'll need to use it. And when you go to high school, you need, everybody's telling you about your future. Everybody's making it seem like you have all this time ahead of you. Everybody's talking to you like you have plenty of time to figure things out. And for the most part, that's true. But Ethan dying kind of sent a shockwave to my system and to the system of our friends because we recognized that there are some things that you do not have time to figure out. There are some things that require urgent attention and real focus and we cannot delay taking them seriously. And one of those is life and death in the person of Jesus. And a lot of you I know grew up in the churches, some of you didn't, but there kind of feels like this 
well, maybe next year I'll take my faith seriously. Well, maybe when I'm in high school, I'll take my faith seriously. Maybe when I'm in college, I'll start taking Jesus seriously. But right now, church is just fun. And hear me, I'm glad that church is fun. I'm glad that you have friends here. But I need us to recognize that there is a, rec- there's a real sense of urgency that we all have to have with regards to the person of Jesus. Do you have a clear understanding of who Jesus is to you? Because when I think about urgency, and when I think about authenticity, and I mean being honest, not just doing whatever you feel like, that's not authenticity, that's being ridiculous. I mean being authentic, being honest about who you are and what you think about Jesus. And this woman that we see in this story, this woman of the city, she has the urgency that I want us all to have. You see, in this story, Jesus is invited over to this Pharisee's house. This Pharisee is the person who has it all together. On the surface, he looks like there are no problems. He literally has the most put-together life. And that person invites Jesus over to his house. Jesus is there eating dinner around a table. And here's this woman who barges in uninvited. The Pharisee would not invite this woman to her house. But she knows, I must get right with Jesus. And so this woman, full of courage, full of strength, it says, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was there, she had heard about this man, Jesus, who treated women like her with respect. She had heard about this person named Jesus who was healing the sick. She had heard about this person of Jesus who was forgiving sins. And she said, regardless of how socially awkward it is, I'm going to him. And she urgently marches in. So this woman gets two adjectives, two things describe her. The first one is she is a woman of the city. What that probably means is she was a prostitute. She sold her body for money. Now we have to ask, how does someone become a woman of the city? What happens? What takes place? If you had rich parents, you didn't become a woman of the city. Most of the time, if you were out there um, selling yourself for money, it's because you had bad parents, parents who left you, parents who sold you, parents who treated you poorly. Sometimes you got married and then you had a bad husband who left you or treated you poorly or kicked you out. So you see, what happens is first, this woman is beat up by the city. She's beat up by the culture. She's looked down at. She's mistreated. Now, probably none of you in this room have sold parts of yourselves for money. But my guess is that all of you have given parts of yourself away for attention, for likes, to be included. You've compromised who you are for the sake of being included with people that you just want them to take you seriously. You hear about what gets attention, and so you give that. You hear about what helps people get noticed, and so you give that. You hear about the way in which your classmates are being noticed and seen and taken seriously, and so you do those things. Because the city grinds you down, and then it draws you in. You might experience that at class. You might experience with your peers this reality that you have people who are judging you, who are misinterpreting you, 
who are telling you you're worth less than you are, and you really are tempted to just get in line and be like they want you to be. So before this woman's anything else, she's mistreated. And a lot of you in this room have probably been mistreated. You've had things done to you that should never have been done to you. You've had things said to you that should have never been said to you. You've had parents do things they should have never done. And you've suffered because other people have treated you poorly. And this woman is like you. She's been a woman of the city. She's been beaten up by the broken world. The second thing says that she's a sinner. That we do tend to respond to the bad things people do to us with sin. But this woman who's now a prostitute, what are her options? In 2,000 years ago, she couldn't just get a job. A lot of times women weren't even allowed to work. And so she's been so mistreated that she's been kind of trapped into this corner of feeling like there's no way out. This is just what I have to do to get by. And so one of the things that happens is you save up the money you earn doing things that you shouldn't have been doing. And one of the tools she has to save that up is this alabaster flask of ointment. It's this precious, it's like, it's like gold. that You store it up and you, it's like a savings account. And if you get enough money, then maybe you can get out of being a woman of the city. And she's saving it up, she's storing it up because it's her ticket out. But then she hears about this man, Jesus, who's coming to town. And she goes, there's a better way out of this than money. What are some of the ways that you might be like this woman of the city? She's overseen, not included, left out. Feels pressure to do things that she doesn't really want to do for the sake of survival, for the sake of attention, for the sake of getting noticed. She barges in. She takes the most precious thing she has, her ticket out, and she begins to rub Jesus' feet as he's eating. Jesus lets her keep doing it, so it seems like he's grateful. He's enjoying it. He's, he's thankful for this woman that she's here. But these Pharisees around the table are all kind of having this reaction. They're stepping back. Who, the, who, who invited this woman in here? We're... we're we're religious people. We don't spend time with this type of person. Can't you see that we have our lives together and her life is a mess? What is she doing here? And such that they start looking at Jesus like, this guy must be stupid. Does he not know that she's a woman of the city? Does she not know what's going on? And so Simon thinks to himself, thinks in his head, Simon's the Pharisee, and he goes, this Jesus guy must be crazy. And Jesus reads his thoughts and says, Simon, I have a story for you. Imagine if someone owed someone $10,000, and imagine if someone owed someone $10, and the person who they owed the money to forgave them both. Who's more grateful? And Simon gets it right. He says the person who they owed $10,000 because his, great was de his debt was greater. And Jesus goes, you're right, Simon. But Simon doesn't get the point. It, it, He's going, and? But Jesus' point is, this woman has been through a lot, 
and she's expressing her gratitude for me for the fact that I'm this savior of the universe. And here's this guy, Simon, who takes Jesus totally for granted. Simon invites Jesus over to his house and doesn't extend the ordinary hospitality that you usually have. Like nowadays, when you invite someone to your house, you offer them a drink. If you invite them over at 6 p.m., you offer them dinner. It'd be like if you invited Jesus to your house and didn't give him a glass of water, didn't offer to take his coat, didn't feed him dinner, but just sat there and were like, so you're God, huh? Simon thinks he is so good that he takes the presence of God in the flesh for granted and is just like, tell me something I don't know. He should know better. A lot of you are like Simon. You grew up in a nice house. You couldn't become a Pharisee if you didn't have nice parents. You couldn't become a Pharisee if you didn't have wealthy parents. You couldn't become a Pharisee if you didn't have a fairly put-together household. And a lot of you are like Simon. Your parents are Christians. You've been in church your whole life. This thing that's going on isn't all that new. You see people at your school who are, don't go to church. You see people at church, and you're like, oh, maybe they should. Why are, are they in the wrong place? You think you're so good that you take Jesus for granted. You come to church, whatever. You go to small group, you screw around. You go home, parents ask you how was it, you say fine, because you really don't care about Jesus. You've been so close to him for so long that you're kind of over it. It's not exciting. You're like Simon. See, when you talk about authenticity, Simon is the opposite of authenticity. He has this well-crafted, well-put-together image. He's got all the right filters on his Instagram photos. He makes sure that he gets the, the likes that he needs. He's really connected with what people need from him so they can keep thinking of him highly. He's managed his image very well. And he's far from God. What are some of the things you do like Simon? Where you pretend. Because Simon's a sinner. Simon's broken. Simon is in need of grace. But he's so successfully managed his image that he doesn't even know. Maybe it looks like screwing around in the back when someone's teaching. Maybe it looks like elbowing your neighbor during worship. Maybe it looks like ruining someone's day by making mean comments. The little things you do to make sure people notice you and make sure that people think that you're above what's going on. So Jesus rebukes Simon. Simon thinks he's close to Jesus, but he's far from Jesus. This woman thinks she is far from Jesus, but she comes with her greatest treasure, and she is wiping his feet. 
She won't even look at Jesus face to face because she feels like she can't be looked at by him. She comes up behind him and is just trying to give him a foot rub because she thinks that I can't sit at a table with him. I can't make, I can't make eye contact with him. I can't actually contribute to what's going on, but I just want to take the thing I treasure most, the savings that I have, and give it to the person that I know I can trust more than anybody else. I want to take the most beneficial thing that I have and take it and give it to the most beneficial person in the entire universe. And she is close to the Lord. And Jesus sees her. This verse 44 says, turning to the woman. So he had been looking at Simon, talking about the woman. Now he's still talking to Simon, but he turns his head and looks at the woman. She probably looks back up at him. And this is probably the first time in years that a man has looked at her, not expecting to get something from her. It's the first time in years probably a grown adult has looked at her not expecting for her to sell him something. And Simon says, or Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? Because Jesus has full eye contact with her. Because Simon thinks he sees her. Simon thought he understood her. But Simon misunderstands her. Simon does not see her. But Jesus does see her. See, Simon thought that Jesus misunderstood her, but Jesus rightly understands her. He sees her, and he says, she has more faith than you. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And he speaks to the woman and says, your faith, your trust in me has saved you. Go in peace. A lot of you don't feel seen by God. You have secrets, you have stories, you have thoughts, you have emotions, you have things you've kept to yourself. You feel like this woman. I want to be close to Jesus, but I don't know if he can handle my mess. I want to be close to Jesus, I want to give him my treasure, but I don't know if he's really ready to deal with all that I have going on. I've been beaten up by the city. I've been a part of what the city's doing. Uh, I've been left behind. I've been mistreated. I've been part of the problem. I don't think that I really can go and look Jesus in the face. And Jesus is right now looking you in the eyes and saying, I see you even though the other people in your life don't. And here's the irony of the story. Is at the beginning, the woman walks in and she's being judged by all the Pharisees. They all see her. They look her up and down. They know where she's been. They know what she's done. But over the course of the story, people stop looking at and judging the woman and they start looking at and judging Jesus. Going, who's this guy? Who does he think he is? They judge her, but Jesus stands up for her. He defends her. He comes to her aid. And that is the essence of the gospel. That you all have been judged by a holy God. And he sees you as sinners. That we've been beaten down by the city. We've been self-righteous Pharisees. We've looked down on other people. And God sees us as we are. He is honest with us. He sees us and says, you are a sinner, and we deserve 
punishment for our sin. But Jesus shows up. And instead of being judged by God the Father, God the Father turns his judgment to Christ and pours it out on him on the cross. And just like this woman who was initially judged, but because of the presence of Jesus, she's saved from judgment, so also each one of you, if you bring your mess to Jesus, and if you turn to him, and if you come close to him, and if you trust in him, and if you have faith in who he is as a man... You can be set free from the judgment of God. She she heard about Jesus. She had heard about this man, this guy going through the city, saving lives, healing people, speaking to women in a way that no other man had spoken to women. And she heard and she moved. She trusted. She took a step of faith and moved towards Jesus. And the closer she got to Jesus, the further she got from judgment. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. We're going to sing this song. And the way that song starts off is like this. It says, are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. And just like Jesus goes into this man's house and makes himself available, this woman comes forward and she trusts in him that this man will forgive me, this man will see me, this man will understand me, this person will set me free from my slavery to being stuck as woman of the city. She urgently barges in and brings her baggage, what's been done to her and what she's done, and she shows up. And so the question that you have to answer here tonight is this, is will you be like the woman or will you be like the Pharisee? Because the Pharisee feels like Jesus is no big deal. I'll stay seated back here. I'm doing pretty fine by myself. Jesus can be a good teacher every now and then, but I'm not going to humble myself before him. I'm not going to treat him with dignity. I'm not going to worship him and treasure him. And all of you are tempted to be like that Pharisee. I'm tempted to be like that Pharisee. Or this woman who's authentic, who's real, who doesn't pretend. She knows what's been done to her, and she's willing to take it to Jesus. She knows what she's done, and she's willing to take it to Jesus. Who will you be like? The woman or the Pharisee? I remember at Ethan's funeral, I had met with him three weeks before, He had lost 80 pounds. He was frail. He could barely breathe. The lung cancer was so bad. I remember talking to him and asking him if he was scared. And he said, I believe in resurrection. going to his funeral and just being angry so frustrated because I believe resurrection too but that still sucked and I remember all the people there saying all this nonsense about positive thinking and the sun will come up tomorrow 
and just wishing that they believed in the resurrection too. All my friends, a lot of his family, people who didn't know Jesus, who were far from God, they were like the Pharisee. And I so badly just wanted the pastor to get up and tell them all that Jesus loved them and that they can believe in resurrection, they can believe in death and resurrection of the Son, that they can trust in the Lord Jesus and that the Lord Jesus loves them. And instead, we just kind of went through the motions and the funeral's over and nobody told the room, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And when I think about you middle schoolers and high schoolers and the urgency of what we're dealing with here, I just want you to hear very clearly, you must be like this woman who brings her mess to Jesus. My big idea for tonight is this, urgently bring your mess to Jesus. Do not wait until tomorrow. Do not wait until next week. You do not wait till next month. You do not know. Are you able to do that? That might look like tonight in worship. Jesus is calling. You'll soften your hearts to him. You'll worship him. It might look like tonight as you go back to your homes and you discuss and you think through, what does this mean to me? How can I be authentic like this woman who's honest about what's been done to me and about what I've done? How can I run away from being like Simon the Pharisee? But Jesus is calling. Will you stand and I'm going to pray for us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, 6th grade to 12th grade, the mentors. I pray that we would all, as individuals, sense you calling us. We who have known you for a long time, refresh our faith. Spirit, fall on us in a new, powerful way. People in this room who are not taking you seriously, God, awaken them. Help them see soften their hearts, expose the things that they're clinging to, the the ointment they're clinging to that they think will save them. Help them see that that is not worth clinging to. God, I'm encouraged by the story of the woman. I pray that we'll be like her tonight.